To more than a game. Well, there's been no escaping the US election this week in the news. Um, in the lead up to us recording the, the pod on Sunday, it seems that the vast majority of the media are calling the election for Joe Biden. But look, I wasn't the only person who could see the crossovers between the election and football, though. Uh, some genius, not me, uh, produced the, the Watford playoff uh, semi and the Trump crossover, which I'm pretty sure every one of our listeners saw, um, and it seemed like half the world as well. Um, also, uh, B is for bastard on Twitter asked us if Trump is, Trump going to the courts is just like uh, appealing to VAR and that people couldn't celebrate just like the players have doubts uh, whenever a goal is scored now. So uh, plenty of crossover there as well. Um, but while our moment of fame has had us doing the Dizzy Kid gif for the last few days, there's also been plenty of stuff happening in the world of football as well. So, um, look, let's let's jump in and un- unpack uh, unpack it. With me here is Colby and Killian. Colby, how are you doing today? Mate, pretty good. A uh, little bit, little bit dusty after our, uh, you know, after our first post-lockdown night at the pub last night. We were just talking about it before we started recording. So yeah, we're all, we're all, uh, we're all feeling it today. <laughs> the, the beers were cold and the the football was entertaining. So it was just like old times. Killian, uh, you joined us at the pub last night, and you also joined us for the pod today. Um, how are you doing today? Are you a little bit dusty as well from, from yeah. last night's shenanigans? Also joining you in that regard as well. But uh, thank you very much for having me back. Um, every time I get invited back, I'm always surprised. And I always think it's going to be my last. So I'm definitely <laughs> going to grab this, grab this episode by the horns and make sure it's the best ever. I keep him hungry for more. Yeah. <laughs> Try to main keep him keen. Yeah, and also after your, your online fame as well. Who knows? This could be <laughs> extra few listens as well. So um, I'm sure the other boys. This is your your highest, most rated episode. All the other regular guests would be very jealous of of me just popping in last minute like John Terry to, to claim the glory. <laughs> so, so is your sunburn then? Um, is that you rocking up in full kit? Uh no, that's just me dressed up as Jurgen Klopp. If a decision doesn't go his way. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. All right, boys. Break it up, break it up, break it up. <laughs> All right, uh, let's, let's crack on uh, with uh, Moment of the Week, though. Killer, since you're the guest, come on, mate, take it away. Oh, uh, it's probably old news at this stage, but um, I've been pretty pumped about it all week. Is um, And uh, I, I'm pretty sure we, we wasn't discussed in the, in the last pod because we recorded beforehand, but uh, Arsenal's um, historic win against uh, Man United um, last week, uh, a solid mid-table clash. Um, but the first time we we won away to United in I think it's about 14 years or so. So um, long overdue. Um, would have been nice to maybe get one of those wins against Mourinho or Fergie. Um, but uh, at least you saying it doesn't mean anything when Ollie's at the wheel. Um, I don't know where Ollie's. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a tricky one. But I think it's a different United that we've faced, much like a very different Arsenal. So um, yeah, it would have been nice to have the Arsenal of old beat the United of old. Um, um, it's it's good that they're still feeling in that game though, like uh, from from I guess when both teams were were relevant was it like <laughs> ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Kind of, it, it's kind of a reminder that um, a reminder of times of old as well, and kind of keeps you a bit hungry to to chase 
and also a good gauge of, of where Arsenal are at, at the moment because United still managed to, to qualify for for Champions League. So at least we're kind of we're better than them at least for the time being. Might we'll see at the end of the season, but it's kind of a good way of gauging whether what what level we're at. We're clearly not at the the elite status of, of City and Liverpool, but um, I think we're slowly catching up. I think it was uh, that's a good point. I think it was a really good gauge of where both teams are at at the moment. Um, Colby, what about you, mate? What was your moment of the week this week? Uh, my moment of the week, uh, boys. I was I was doing doing a little bit of prep, sort of looking around at what what was happening, and and it ended up I ended up just having like a bunch of little items about overseas Aussies, and I was like going to choose one, but I'm going to just like give you a little whip around because Tr- they're, they're doing well. bits. Like, yeah, well, we had a um like I, we were saying on the pod a couple of weeks ago that. You know, what are any of the Aussies doing overseas now? There's no one playing in any good leagues. No one's doing anything. But, um, you know, we had Lawrence Thomas, um, you know, win player of the player of the month twice um, and named in like he's been named in like five teams of the week in the in the Danish Superliga since he's been over there. So he's he's um, he's doing little bits. Um, Riley McGree, he's already got himself a goal uh, at Birmingham where he's um, there on his season long loan in the championship. Mitch Langerak uh, has got the most clean sheets in the J-League so far. He's got 12 clean sheets, and Nagoya Grampus is somewhere up near the top of the table. So um, they could be coming up in the Asian Champions League if that ever happens. Um, mm. And and my boy, Denny Urich, uh, got a hattie in some Farmers League the other day, which I which I was um, pleasantly surprised to see pop up on my feed. So... And of course, and of course, you had you had Timmy against uh, Roy Keane after the uh, United Arsenal match. They had a little bit of a little bit of a dust up after that. So I can't no no overseas Aussies wrap up is is complete without mentioning um, you know our, our boy Timmy. Oh, a little bit more on Timmy still to come, I think. Um, <laughs> Sal in the comments is uh, that's that's why he's here. So. <laughs> Thanks, Colby. All right, uh, for me this week, obviously, it'd be very easy for for me to indulge even further in uh, MTAG's moment of uh, brief moment of fame over the last few days, um, coinciding with the election. But I won't. Um, if there's one thing I do want to drop out there, it's that we got retweeted by the Mooch, um, with his name Anthony Scaramucci, who's like an ex White House staffer, and that was a pretty surreal moment. Um, uh, Killian, I think you particularly enjoyed that as well, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think the other Scaramucci is is a bit of a walking meme in himself as well. I think he was the, the press secretary and he, he lasted the the sum total of nine days or something before he got yeah. fired. Something just like that. Yeah, just wild dude, right? <laughs> Which yeah. made it even better. If it had been someone like real vanilla from like the White House, it wouldn't have been yeah. the same. <laughs> Mike Pence. <laughs> <Mike> yeah. <laughs> Look, the other one that I wanted to to mention was uh, Colby. I think it, I'm not sure if it was you or Damo who actually threw this out there on uh, on Twitter, which is about I guess uh, it, was, it was sending out some feelers for some some feel good stories or, or just some funny stories about people and uh, their experiences playing futsal like here in Melbourne. We haven't been able to play any futsal for for six months, and um, for me personally speaking, um, the last six months, the the thing that I'm missing the most it's it's not playing. Uh, sorry, it's not watching football. It's not seeing my friends. It's playing futsal. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of a couple of highlights from the thread were um, Smithy. I'm going to assume that that's not his uh, not his uh, name given to him by his mother. Uh, but Smithy's work team playing against a prison team said they were up four 0 and then the prison side were making a strong comeback. Uh, I'm going to assume that it was either very close or, or it was even. Um, and then his team ended up getting a late winner. 
Um, apparently, there were lots of screaming, yelling, and fear for people's lives uh, <laughs> due to the prisoners pretty much just going bonkers. Apparently, one that's of the yeah, that's. I, oh, I was almost like, no, nah, that can't be real. There's no way that's real. That's just like his team. Know, his like, team must be running riot in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Um, you can just imagine some of the tackles and someone appealing to the referee. Oh, come on, mate, lock him up, lock him up. That's terrible. <laughs> it's assault. Um, the other, a couple of other things that stood out were some great team names or just a uh, real commitment to a theme. Um, a couple of the team names that stood out was uh, Norfolk. Unchance, uh, by never losing, sporting a beer gut, and there was also an Icelandic themed side with uh, Icelandic jerseys, and they added uh, sin to the uh, the end of all of their their surnames and and made Icelandic surnames as well. Um, Crappy feet and Benteckers as well were were both uh, good ones. I thought there was also there's there's a bit of crossover between like futsal team names and FPL names, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of them uh, pop up um, in the future in FPL teams. They probably already are, but um, you never know. Um, the the final one I wanted to throw out there was about people giving it to to fans uh, or, or parents or or significant others on the sideline when uh, when you've just won uh, or scored a late winner or something like that. I, I appreciated that. <laughs> so, uh, all right, we'll move on to own goal though. Um, Killer, you're the guest. Take it away, mate. Oh, thank you. Um, so, probably some some personal own goals are. Um, I don't know, maybe listeners of the pod may know, I'm maybe the, the resident goalkeeping expert. And uh, <laughs> there, was, there was some shocking um, goalkeeping on display over the weekend, as well as um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the French the French League as well. So I was very um, very intrigued to see kind of two big names from France. Not so much big names, but Mendy, certainly the Chelsea keeper, and uh, Meslier, who who's obviously at Leeds now. Um, sad to see, I think, Mendy conceding his, his first goal um, England, which is a great feat in itself, and uh, his his clean sheet run wasn't going to last forever. But uh, it was still a shame to to see him. I personally thought it was a shame to see him concede as well, and he was kind of nowhere near at fault. It was a bit of a and um, what we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it probably a bit later on. And then uh, Melier as well. Um, I was really excited to see him um, kind of coming from the, the French team, Lorient, who I support in France, um, coming over to England. Really impressed. Really impressed with him, what I'd seen before, and really wanted to see him do well. But he's just. He's very hit and miss, and he's been very hit and miss throughout the season. He's made some amazing games, made incredible saves, but he just seems a bit distracted. And in, in this game in particular, he just seemed a bit distracted, and, and he lost his focus a few times, and it, it cost his team quite pretty badly. So, um, had, had a bit of a mare, I thought. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm sure, obviously, we'll, we'll save that for for the talk of the game. But um, yeah, I'll, yeah, was he lack of focus, lack of concentration, and uh, yeah, it cost his team pretty badly. Maybe we definitely need to keep uh, getting you on, Killer, because otherwise we're not going to have any keeper chat. Everyone just goes, <laughs> oh, yeah, keepers should save and, and stuff. That's, well, that's about as uh, elaborate as we get on goalkeeper chat. To, the, the, um, to the, the, uh, the British football coverage, where they, uh, whenever there's a refereeing decision, they, they wheel out Dermot Gallagher to, to comment yeah. on it. Whenever there's a goalkeeping clan, you can wheel me out. It's like, well, you really should have saved it. I mean, there's no way around it. <laughs> We we do say that sometimes on the pod, don't we? Like, oh yeah, yeah, you should have said that's that's a save you should be making, and mate, you you can verify that or not for us in the future. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Colby, what about you, mate? Boys, well, I'll I'll just continue to um, put out opinions without any backing in experience whatsoever. I'm just I'm going to say I'm not going to stop doing that. So, 
Um, but my my own goal this week uh, is Balotelli. I don't know whether you've seen this, boys, but he's obviously been let go um, recently by Brescia, um, and he's now training with a, a side in Serie D um, called uh, Francia Corta, I think, uh, is, the, is the correct pronunciation. Um, and, and he's going to rip you in the group chat after this, I imagine, for that pronunciation. <laughs> huge own goal, though, because, I mean, you know, Brisbane Raw is just just out here just, just crying out for Balotelli. <laughs> Uh, you know, stick him up front and, you know, watch, watch the magic happen for a prox three games before he, has a, before he has a meltdown and gets kicked out of the team. So, I mean, just, just come, come to the A-League, Mario. Surely there's got to be at least one team in the A-League that's like, oh, we'll, we'll take a punt on him. Like, it's not going to work out for the whole season, but for a Mario, third of the sure. season, it'd be worth it. <laughs> well, yeah, if, if a team could take a punt on Usain Bolt, surely Mario Balotelli is a bit of an easier gamble. If, well, yeah. that's a good point. Like, what, why doesn't a team just take him on trial or, or let him train with them? Like, uh, how, how bad could it get? Two week quarantine. I don't yeah. that Mario Balotelli would, wouldn't be able to last two weeks without setting the hotel on fire. <laughs> he'd be he'd be longer in quarantine than he would be like with the team for real. <laughs> that's that's yeah. probably pretty right. All right, um, my own goal, look, it'd be very easy to, to talk about uh, Adam L. Lookman, um, but we'll, we'll save that as well for later. Um, this is one, or my own goal this week, is one that I only discovered about 30 minutes before the pod, um, which was me stumbling upon um, a, a paid ad for Vitaman, uh, which is like some skincare company, and Tim Cahill, our Tim Cahill, is doing uh, paid promos for it, which uh, I thought, at first I was like, what the hell? Who is that? And then, I, like, then it clicked who he was, and it's just this horrific photo. And you can tell, like, the dudes probably never used like any sort of face cream or something like that in his life. But um, just it's it's so on brand for Cahill to be promoting something completely random and off brand for him. Can you imagine if if Timmy was like coming through now, like if he was like you know in his early twenties and you know playing in the Premier League and. And you know, sort of up and up and coming star now um, with the sort of influencer generation, the kind of shit he would be getting around throughout the the life cycle of his career. Um, I mean, yeah, he, he's the the OG influencer of the um, of the Socceroos, if I could put that um, in a, in euphemistic terms. It was very fortunate that like he only started doing this sort of stuff once he had heaps of clout, and so. Like I think you're right, Colby. I think like he would have he would have played one first grade game for any pro team, and he would have been flogging stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he would have been more like Jesse Lingard sort of areas and and less Timmy Cahill areas. Because yeah, you're right. He he got the clout first, and then just you know got to the end of his career. You know, saw his career coming to an end, and just decided to just open the floodgates on the um on, on the vision. So. <laughs> Sal wants to know if we can call him uh, Creamy Face Timmy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to leave that alone. Um, thanks for that, Sal. Look, you made me laugh, uh, even despite my, my horrendous hangover this afternoon. <laughs> That's good from you, Sal. Oh, geez. All right, let's uh, we'll, we'll crack on into the Premier League, though. And first up, uh, not going to be talking any of the, the big teams. We're going to be talking about uh, the new big team. No, we're not talking Everton. We're talking Southampton. Southampton mm-hmm. somehow are uh, top of the table. Um, and it's been a crazy season so far, but I don't think anyone expected it to be this crazy. So, um, 
boys, is it uh, safe to say that we're no longer an Everton pod and we're a Southampton pod now? We were never, we were never an Everton pod. Are we still always, a Watford Always pod? a Southampton pod. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're still a little bit of a Watford pod. I'll <laughs> give you that. Um, look, uh, in terms of the actual game, though, um, did uh, watch, watching both of the goals, and even though I think there was like 70 minutes in between the two goals, did, did it feel like both goals were exactly the same? Like they, so they were both uh, for for listeners who may not have caught it because I think it was it was at um, stupid o'clock on Saturday morning here in Australia. Um, in in both goals, both uh, um, I can't remember who's nicked the ball uh, off of a off of a Newcastle player, but basically they're just not getting rid and um, and they they nick the ball and and then they play one or two more passes and then they're able to uh, to to finish really nicely. So. Um, both very similar goals, which I guess um, if there's one thing that Southampton, one way that you can describe Southampton at the moment, it's that there's a very clear vision for, for how they're going to do it. Uh, more Timmy Cahill crossover there. Um, there's a really clear vision for how they want to play um, and they are executing it really well. You can see all the players are bought into it. There's a, there's a clear structure and they're, they're executing it really well. And I think a, a lot of people might have been worried that Southampton might have uh, possibly sort of fallen over this week with with no Ings, but um, no Ings, no worries, it seems, as well. Flying without Ings? Oh, hey! <laughs> Don't mind that at all. Who's the... Oh, who's the uh, the Greek uh, the Greek Greek guy with uh, who who flew flew too close to the sun? Icarus. Icarus. Right? Yeah, no. Oh, in, no, in, Tommy. In no, it's not, no, no. Yes, there. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. This is what happens when I pun on the fly. It just doesn't work. Hey, Ralph, <laughs> Ralph has got him flying though, Tommy. I think you're right. Like executing those game plans, um, the way they're counter pressing, the way they're sort of like hunting that hunting the ball down in packs. You saw that in this game and. and and that led to the first goal as well, where you saw um, Theo Walcott and uh, I forget who the other player was, just sort of hunting down that ball, counter pressing high, um, and that's that that's you know going to lead them to a lot of goals this season. So um, yeah, re- really great to see that that style of football is just a manager, and we we talk about and we will talk about managers with no sort of appreciable um, style or football or game plan, but you know Ralph is definitely not one of those. Yeah. I think yeah, Steve Bruce would have been absolutely livid with like conceding those two goals, having like so much opportunity to clear the ball, um, and just not taking advantage of that. And what I what I thought was quite funny as well is the two goals came from really bad mistakes, failing to clear their lines. But Southampton created so many other chances of like their own right without needing Newcastle to, to mess up, and they couldn't convert any of them. They just had to. So Newcastle could have easily escaped that goal or that game, being like by far the lesser, the weaker team, and still kind of a, a nicked a draw. Um, so yeah, I think they'll be really, really upset with that because they, uh, the keeper had a had a pretty good game, um, but it was just cool. really silly mistakes. I, I guess this is the effectiveness of counter pressing. Um, often, and Colby would have seen this probably three, three to four years ago with Liverpool. You can you can be a great attacking side, but sometimes when you're facing a low block, it's just really hard to play through. So sometimes you're better off uh, like just winning the ball high, and and that's how you're actually going to create a better opportunity. So. Um, for, for people that hadn't bought into the whole sort of counter-pressing things was the perfect example of, of how effective it can be, even for maybe not necessarily a top-tier side. 
Well, um, I mean, they could they could be a top tier side, Tommy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're about to lead into that. <laughs> kind of, kind of, a little bit tongue in cheek, but look, um, look, there's been plenty of talk about uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer throughout the the week and whether or not uh, he his uh, he should be keeping his job at Man United, and we'll, we'll get onto that a little bit more down the track. But um, I mean, Hassan Hoodle never seems to be sort of in in the conversation about moving to a bigger club and. And like to be perfectly honest, I, I don't understand why. But um, if there's if there was another bigger club in the in the Premier League or, or even abroad, um, do you think uh, Ralph would be a good fit for? Who do you think it might be, gents? Would you like to see him go to a bigger club in the Prem or, or go elsewhere? Well, well, Ralph needs to get the results before he goes, you know, goes uh, gallivanting off to a bigger club. Quite frankly, um, I think their finishes have been like thirteenth and fourteenth or something. I don't have a stat in front of me, but. You know, like he's 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 definitely um, you know it seems to be galvanising a good team, and they're they're putting in really good performances, and they're starting to get results. But they need to get those consistently over the course of a season. And you 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 know you look back at um, Poch and Kuman, you know they had six seventh place finishes, um, you know, and they they had Southampton up up around there before they got their moves. So I'd like to see I'd like to see Hudson Hootel um, sort of get them get them finishing up around there. Yeah, he's definitely building. He's definitely building a strong team, and they're kind of approaching, approaching that as well. But they need at least kind of one high finish just to maybe kind of build his kind of reputation high enough as well. But you must be giving like all these Southampton fans PTSD of losing their managers again every time we start these comments about oh Southampton are doing well, all their players just kind of leave the nest. Players, managers, just everyone yeah. starts picking them off. Well, and, and three years ago, they, they 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 had a bit of a bust season where a, bu- a bunch of players that they brought in just turned out to be duds. And now they're kind of, they've rebuilt some momentum and, and narrowly mm. avoided relegation a couple of times. And now they're, they're just looking like they're, they're, they're coming good again. And now everyone's talking about us and who are leaving. And they must be thinking, just go away. Like, we're just trying to get, build a little bit of momentum here. Tommy, yeah. are you now are you now segueing into um you know the, the the player signing of the season, my my boy Theo Walcott? Because I've got Ooh. some I've got some facts I've got some facts for you. Come on, mate, so, lay him down, lay him well, down. Fourth of fourth of October, boys. Fourth of October, Everton top of the table. Fifth of October, uh, Theo leaves uh, for Southampton. Sixth of November, Southampton top of the table. I'll let you fill in the dots. I'll let you fill in the dots. <laughs> <laughs> Theo Walcott is the unsung hero of both Everton and Southampton seasons. There you go. Heard it I'll, here first I'll tell you, on more than a game. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you why, boys, and it's and it's right here. Have a have a look. Have a look at his left arm. He's he's just got the strapping there with with big Jamie Vardy energy, and I think that's that's um what's you know what what's really correlating with uh with some of those performances he's putting in. So uh, make of that what you will as well. Is he wearing a power band underneath that? Is is that what it is? Maybe it could could be definitely. Do you have any idea what a power band is? No. <laughs> is that one of those like magnetic things that like well, so centers like, you I, to the Earth's gravitational pull or some some that's the like one? That. Yeah. So like I, I'm pretty sure they were absolute bullshit, right? But um, yeah. they they were something that were touted like a couple of years ago, and like some professional. Um, it, it's the kind of thing that Tim Cahill would probably probably flog um, as being like a like you say a way to center yourself to the the Earth's magnetic field and to boost energy or. I don't know some bullshit, but um, you never know. Maybe maybe uh, Theo's got one and it's working for him. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, Jamie, the same under his strapping as well. 
Yeah, yeah, he, he like broke, broke his arm six years ago and he's still wearing one. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, we'll uh, we'll move on. Uh, actually, no, we won't. There's still one more thing we needed to talk about with Southampton. So after the the Southampton match, um, Southampton uh, social media posted stop the count. Oh. Uh, upon completion of the the game, which I thought that was just it was on point, perfect timing, and like perfect for that club as well. Because let's face it, I don't think anyone's expecting them to be there in probably about three weeks' time. So, just uh, perfect timing, and uh, I think a lot of people they, they kind of like Southampton and are almost happy to happy to see them having success. But um, that kind of thing really endears them to, to neutrals as well. It was one of those things, Tommy, like um, I think the tweet was just so perfectly well-timed because like now I'm thinking about it and I'm just like cringing, not at Southampton, but like every single account on social media that's tried to do a, a stop the count, like gag at something else since and I'm just I'm just over it now. I'm just, you know, but South, when Southampton did theirs, it was the, the perfect time. So I'll, I'll allow that, but. If, if it's current, oh, nice. like it, it works. But if, if you're yeah. trying to flog something from three years ago, nah, sorry, it just doesn't work. Yeah. I, I don't care if um, yeah, if Brescia were top of Serie A six seasons ago, I, I couldn't give two shits. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, all right, we'll, we'll move on though. Uh, on um, Up next is the, the game that we gathered at uh, the pub for last night, which was Everton hosting Man United. Um, what would normally you would normally expect to be uh, the red team uh, being the top of the table and uh, the blue team sort of languishing mid-table, but alas, this time it was the other way around. Um, first time we had been at the pub uh, for a football game, which was uh, which was very much enjoyed by the the, well, the three of us plus a couple others. Um, but like I was saying earlier, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was under a, a fair bit of pressure uh, leading into into this game, um, and. Uh, Everton were missing uh, Richarlison, who's still suspended, and I, I do suspect that James Rodriguez was rushed back. Um, the result ended up finishing three-one to to uh, sorry to Man United after Everton did take an early lead. Um, but guys, uh, look, I, I want to funnel straight into James' chat. Do you guys think that James was uh, a little bit underdone, and and that contributed to the result here? He definitely didn't look interested in running. <laughs> he never does. <laughs> Actually, no. That's that's a lie. I think that's that's like a Trump esque lie that just gets propagated, and uh, I don't know where that came from. Yeah, but, I mean, it gets propagated. But we were watching the game last night, and he did not like really want to run. So that you know, uh, I, I don't know whether that was fitness or um, desire. But uh, I mean, the the, the the balls that he was playing though were just delightful, and you can just see what a what a class above um, everyone else in that quite a, to be fair, quite good Everton team. Um, is so yeah he, he he even looked the class above them and just you know makes them even better well actually you, you mentioned about the balls that he was playing i think that was the injury that he actually sustained wasn't it uh, didn't he have literally a testicle problem <laughs> uh, i think that was i think that was why he was out for i think uh last week or the week a week or so ago. Man. More than that, Tommy, if you're gonna start claiming claiming that what sorry what Sorry, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to give us a bit more information about that. You can't just leave it there. Mate, that that is all the details I know about Hummers' testicles. I'm sorry, uh, boys, and I'm sorry, listeners at home. Um, I feel like I've just uh, gone out on a bit of a limb there about um, Hummers and the and the balls that he plays. Um, 
But look, on, back onto the football though. Uh, look, I, I did mention that Everton took an early lead through Bernard after he snuck one uh, past De Gea. Um, we mentioned about goalkeepers and that's probably one that De Gea should have done better with. Um, please confirm, Killian. Yes. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it was a bit. It was a bit. It was kind of a bit caught off guard. It went through. It went through. The, I think it was Lindelof's legs as well. So um, I think it was just. It was a well. The timing of the shot was really good. It just kind of caught everyone off guard. And maybe another another day would have saved it. But it. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't, I don't feel like he was the worst of, of many of, of this for this weekend. Yeah. Twenty twenty. De Gea was not getting that one. Um, no. But look, uh, I actually thought Man United in the probably the 30 minutes after that, I thought actually recovered very well um, and didn't really look like the uh, look like the Man United that rock up to play against PSG rather than the Man United that uh, show up against, uh, um, who was it? I, I don't know that the name of that Turkish team, but you, you, you're picking out what I'm putting down. Um, yeah. Man United uh, did equalize through Bruno Fernandes, uh, a nice cross from Luke Shaw, from overlapping centre-back Luke Shaw. Um, and Bruno headed past Pickford. Um, and then only seven minutes later, Bruno dinked uh, a cross in for Rashford, who almost connected with the cross uh, come shot, um, but it ended up just sneaking in at the back post with Pickford basically just uh, flapping at it. Um, Killian, was this the worst goalkeeping error that you saw on the weekend? Um, oh, listen, probably not. No, I thought it would be when I saw that, but um, <laughs> there, there has been worse. I'm just like it's. It's been said so many times, and I think most people aren't really convinced by by Pickford at this stage. And um, do we know last week when he didn't get he was under the bench? Was that was that due to injury, or was that maybe just Ancelotti saying? Didn't he play goal? last week? I no, no. I, I think you're talking about the, the maybe the midweek game or, or last week. Oh, did they have a midweek game? I don't know. But in the last game, yeah, he was he was yeah. uh, benched for the new guy, Robin Olsen. Olsen. Yeah. Um. And I, I, I heard that Ancelotti sort of came out and said, "Um, I'm dropping Pickford for this game, but he's he's back in the team next week," mm. uh, which I just found really perplexing because uh, why why drop someone if you tell them they're going to be back next week? Like, where how does that create the incentive for the player to to sort of like you know refocus and and find their form again? I, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's why I wonder was some sort of warning to, to Pickford to say, listen, we've got better options and and you're looking at the better option or you're looking at the other option from the bench for this game. And then he didn't really cover himself in glory this week. So I don't know who's... who's the, Ancelotti's got a bit of a problem there at, at the goalkeeping position. Yeah, and I guess like... Everton, they don't exactly need to have like a ball playing goalkeeper in the in the mold of like Edison or, or something like that. Like they, they might just be better off just with going someone going with someone who's a little bit safer between the sticks and and, and losing some of that ability to play out. So safer, uh, safer is the key word, Tommy. Safer is the key yeah. word. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know what kind of um, dirt Pickford has on the VAR refs, but like you know, he's he's pretty untouchable after he you know nearly broke Virgil's leg the other week and. Um, you know, nearly um, snaps Maguire in half uh, in the game we watched last <laughs> night. Um, we, you know, all without any kind of um, uh, rebuke. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's, he must have he must have some nudes of them or something. Like he's got dirt, he's got dirt on somebody. Maybe he heard just heard us talking about Heather Garriock going to um, Taekwondo Australia and becoming the new CEO there in December, and and just thought he'd try out his Taekwondo moves on on Harry Maguire's chest. Um, oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> just not a cool head, which is what like someone or like a team like Everton want to break into the the top six. They need a cool head at the back who can kind of steady steady the back four. Um, and it just seems he's kind of like constantly flapping at balls, flapping at crosses, always flustered. And he, he's also I, I find his body language when he concedes as well. He immediately starts getting get up and yells, yells at his defenders, which. Which, as a keeper, you always do if they've honestly made a mistake. But <laughs> at a certain point, it feels like he's just trying to shift the blame to, to the rest of the team and not um, kind of yeah. be incredible. So you, suspect, think, you suspect you'd be a terrible teammate, don't you? Like, nothing's yeah. ever his fault. He's always yelling at you, even when he stuffs up. You're like, come on, mate. Come on. Just own it. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen, you watched, you're playing this game. You've seen the same thing as I can. Yeah. He's, uh, so I, 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 I'd be interested to see kind of obviously going forward if, if uh, they keep the faith or if. Not really much of a market for him, and I can't really see him kind of quietly or being happily number two at Everton. So, um, yeah, they've got a bit of a, a tricky situation there, and I suspect as well they're probably paying him a lot of money, which is never good. I actually wonder if um, uh, Ancelotti might be onto something about giving him a bit of a break because I think when you persevere with someone like, um, and we've sort of seen that a little bit with De Gea, if you if you give someone a break and an opportunity to sort of mentally recharge, I think it gives them an opportunity to to come back. But uh, some players, I think, that first of all, they don't want to have a break. And second of all, like they might almost be uh, more uh, mentally impacted if they're dropped. So it's, mm. a, it's a really tricky thing about whether, like how you can best bring a player back from like a, a bad run of form, especially goalkeepers. Yeah, um, and I think, yeah, Kelly, Kill, you can jump in if it's, um, you know, something that is the case and, and being different with keepers but keepers are a bit different and they they seem to sort of need that confidence and that that um you know sort of expressly being told by the manager that they're going to be the number one otherwise you see so many of them just sort of crumble mentally under the under mm-hmm. the pressure of constantly having to fight for their spot because you know all all the keepers trying to do the whole game is not make mistakes and not let the ball into the back of the net whereas like if you're a striker um, you know, you, you're trying to score a goal and, and, a, and a mistake is, is just a miss. And, uh, you know, you, you're sort of building uh, as opposed to sort of starting at 100 or a clean sheet or whatever. And then, you know, you're only losing marks as a goalkeeper. So I think that the pressure must be really different. Yeah, and no, I can never even under, begin to understand what it's like being like a professional goalkeeper or high-level goalkeeper. But certainly the, the mentality of a goalkeeper in any game is that you're like the last line of defence and any mistake that you make is, is costly. So you're always kind of, living with that pressure and, and that kind of fear that's or I suppose it probably what's keep you keeps you on your toes and, and the best goalkeepers are those who kind of manage that pressure well um but certainly yeah you're kind of constantly living in that fear of if if I have to be 100% the entire time or else a mistake is going to be costly to my team and um yeah that's uh yeah it's, it's certainly a different type of pressure which maybe I think the further high, higher up the pitch you go the more forgiving I suppose the team is with mistakes with like obviously strikers if they hit one out of 10 shots or one out of 10 chances and you win one nil they're the absolute heroes even though the keepers made 10 saves on the other end unless you're patrick bamford and you score 20 goals in the championship and people still give you shit yeah <laughs> but look uh anyway boys uh we'll move on now to a bit more ole chat um uh, at Kazonis on twitter wants to know is everyone happiest just leaving ole in the job to wallow in mediocrity colby I mean, it, it clearly seems to be the case at the moment. Um, I just, on the one hand, I sort of just don't understand what they're doing. Um, obviously, other managers are available. Um, 
not not least of which is sort of you got the likes of Poch and even Allegri and others sort of kicking around there without a job that United could seemingly get in um, very easily. But on the other hand, I sort of think to myself, like, uh, you know, what are they really doing in terms of player recruitment, in terms of the, the kind of decisions they're making? You know, we all know they're well-documented troubles with the, the director of football position and how that's impacting on the club. And, and so I sort of get to the place where I'm like, well... Like, yeah, Ollie's not improving them that much, but like, yeah, if they bring someone else in, like they had they had Jose, um, you know, even though he's probably not at his best, he's still a top class manager and he couldn't do uh, you know, he couldn't really get what they needed, what United really needed out of that squad. So like I just think like fuck until they just fix their systematic problems, like they may as well just stick in, in mediocrity like uh like Kazana says. Mm-hmm. I like that take. Surely chopping chopping and changing the manager every two, three seasons and and giving them each a $100 million budget to to sign new players is just not going to be effective in the long term. And they just, some of the players just don't really gel and and they've got holes. Like they're they're just stuck in very very much mediocrity. But like what, there's no plan, I think, beyond that. And as you were saying with the back room um, and the board and, and all that, they need to fix that before I think they can kind of pick what's on the pitch because there's no real. Like all the players, as we were saying last night, all the players individually are, are pretty good. And the manager, I mean, obviously some some tactics look, some of his tactics are looking promising as well. But the next week they'll just completely, the players will completely like just not perform or not be able to, to work together. And, and they'll lose to, to, to in the Europa League to, to some kind of Turkish minnows. Yeah. Well, that that was even, that was the Champions League, right? Like, and... Yeah. Um, like that, that I guess for me was just uh, it, it was pretty bizarre, but it sort of highlighted how like Man United, like they they seem to get like one or two positions sort of sorted, and you think, all right, yep, that's set, and I think that player, I think we can sort of set set and forget them for for playing forty games a season kind of thing, and then you think, and oh, yep, now they've just got to concentrate on on a fullback or a centre back or a midfielder, but they constantly always have like four positions that they desperately need a new one of. Um, and I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about how they needed a replacement for Harry Maguire, but Lindelof was terrible. I thought last night, like yeah. he was at fault for the first goal, and um, there was a table of Man United fans next to us, and they were all hammering Lindelof. And I mean, six months ago, Lindelof he was the good centre back, and and yeah. now Man United have got two dodgy centre backs, and they've got a right back who is kind of useless beyond halfway, and they've got a left back. They got a left back who's elite. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Shaw, England, twenty twenty one. I mean, he's going to have to compete with Creswell, but I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's it's going to be tough, but still. Man, that is the perfect segue into more West Ham chat. So, look, um, in the last couple of weeks, I, I've been trying my best to to get West Ham up to the top of the run sheet. And I, look, I think you've got to, I think you've got to give credit where credit's due, boys. Uh, for me, for not putting West Ham at the top of the run sheet this week, um, West Ham won. Um, it was even an eventful game as well. Big, big scenes at the end of the game. So, look, like I said, credit where credit's due, please. Um, but look. Um, I actually think um, I'm not sure if you guys watched the the full one of this or just the mini match or or, or something, but um, I've I got to say the first first 30 minutes of this game were end to end, and it looked like you could have ended up with any score. But I, I tell you what, the the second half was completely different. The second half was crap, and both teams were um, both teams started to get a little bit niggly. Both teams started to get really frustrated, and um, it was nothing like the first half where there could have been probably uh, two goals for either side. Um, 
like I said, the second half, not really much happened, but then you get into injury time and all the game, all of a sudden the, the game bursts into life. Uh, West Ham get a, a, an injury time goal um, with uh, Ben Rama, uh, the new West Ham signing, uh, teeing one up for, for Thomas Suchek, who finally opens his account for the season. I'm pretty sure uh, he was the uh, he'd had the most shots on target in the league without having scored, so it was only a matter of time. Um, oh, and Tommy, I love I love the commentator when he scores this, going the man who's barely had a touch all game. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird, like because like I mean he he's been uh, he's been one of West Ham's best players pretty much since January, uh, and so this actually was one of his uh, far quieter games. So um, I, I was sort of taking notice and, and raising an eyebrow every time the the commentators were saying that. But um, no, then only a few minutes later, uh, Ben Rama uh, fouled. Uh, I think it was Tom Kearney in the, in the box. And uh, they went to VAR because the referee didn't in, uh, initially give it as a penalty. Um, look, I've got to say, I thought this was it's – a, it's a soft pen, but it's a penalty every day pretty much. Um, it's just the way that football is at the moment. So, yeah, a penalty every day for me. Any, any disagreement there, lads? Do you think it's soft or not a pen? Or? Uh, I disagree. I agree. At least there's a bit of consistency there. It's, it's those types of challenges – no matter how slight, they can kind of zoom in, bit of contact, where it goes down, penalty. One of those ones where because they watch it in slow-mo when they're looking at it in VAR, it looks worse. So mm-hmm. it's, it's even more even more likely to be given with VAR, I guess. Um, yeah. But, yeah, this 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 was the real moment of the game where uh, Adam Ola-Lookman, with the last kick of the game, has got an opportunity to, to rescue a point for, for Fulham, who desperately need every point that they can possibly get. And he tries a Panenka and probably the worst Panenka I've ever seen. Um, And not only uh, did it mean that Fulham got nothing out of the game after being given pretty much like a give me at the end, um, Lookman was probably one of their better players as well. And so um, no one will remember that Lookman actually played pretty well. They'll just remember that he fucked up at the end. Boys, uh, what what was the um, what was the Panenka that that came to mind for you after you saw this one? Well, for me, Tommy, um, it, it has to be the the Santa Lab one at the end of the uh, the grand final in the A League a couple of years ago, um, where he just but yeah, basically does a really soft panenka um, to the to uh, Andrew Redmayne. Andrew Redmayne just gratefully catches it, uh, and and he just you know it's just so it's just such a it's it's such a shame like you know there's just you know if you if you miss a regular pen i feel like it's okay but if you if you're trying a panenka i, I just feel like there's an additional layer of shame attached to it somehow and for, for santa lab that was his last kick as a professional footballer ever so that, that was just like and everyone will rem- remember that always so it's just it's really really sad for him and i really also felt for lookman as well after this he was obviously distraught but like such a young guy i don't know why he made that decision anyway is is a particular sort of like player or mentality that says, "Yeah, I'm going to dink this uh, from the penalty spot." Right? Like um, for me, it really reminded me of um, Erebotiak's, uh penalty, where I think he deliberately only just sort of nicked it, and it's like just drooled over the line. And I mean, went in though. Yeah, I know. Like that was that was the weird thing, but I mean, it was the worst, like uh, the worst Panenka out of the three that we've just discussed. Um, but yeah, he scored, so everyone thinks, "Oh, genius, genius, man's a genius." Yeah, does it make it work that he he took it from took the ball from Mitrovic as well? And like you, you reckon you had Mitrovic mm. on the field to take? Like, surely he's the easier guy who takes the last minute penalty 
And I don't think Mitrovic yeah, has scored this season either. Yeah, Mitrovic should have there, surely. Yeah, yeah sure, surely yeah. he's not above him in the in the in the penalty taking like uh, list. Um, what did that? That's come up before this season, hasn't it? Where someone's ripped the ball off of someone, then missed. Oh, I mean, last season and the season before, you had it at PSG, uh, didn't you? With with Neymar yeah. and um, and in Man United, we've we've had it with Pogba and Rashford as well. So. Yeah, I think it was Man United where they were talking about like the penalty to take an order and all that sort of bullshit. But anyway, uh, look, Scotty uh, wants to know, uh, West Ham scrape past Fulham. Uh, do they need to change their shape to beat teams that aren't going to push up and attack the Hammers? Probably a question for you there, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wanted to throw it to either of you too to see if you had any uh, had any thoughts on it. But it doesn't I could it. not. I could not do justice to this question. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, Scotty. Obviously, you, you, and you and Scotty are, are, the, are the real experts on on West Ham's shape. But um, fair yeah, enough. Go, go so, on. Scotty did do a really great breakdown recently of uh, of West Ham's current shape, and and they haven't really they didn't change their approach at all in this game between uh, playing like a big team where they're going to be sitting deep, and in this game where pretty much they can they can take the game to Fulham, um, and. If, if anything, it showed that, yep, they're still, like, defensively solid and hard to break down. Um, but in this one, they were still trying, I guess, the same approach, but against a, a deep-lying defence who weren't trying to sort of press or win the ball back. So um, it just meant that they were bombing forward and, like, you had Masawaku or uh, Kufal who were trying to uh, put crosses in for Alaire and it, it, it wasn't really working because, like, they couldn't get to the byline. And, and so um, later on in the game, Lanzini and... Uh, ben Rama came on, and like they they just they weren't even trying to play the ball into to their feet. So I think, um, I, I think sticking with that current um, approach of uh, of that back five, I think that's fine. But they they do need to change their approach once they make a sub. And and if you're going to bring someone like Lanzini on, um, there's no point just like playing around them and then expecting them to get onto the, onto headers um, uh, from from terrible crosses, start playing into their feet, and then I think you'll have a better chance of scoring some goals. But um, obviously, Lanzini and, and Ben Rama haven't played a lot recently, so you can probably forgive, I think, West Ham for, for not necessarily playing to both of those respective players' strengths. Um, thanks, Scotty, for the question, though. Gave me an opportunity to go, go on a monologue. Um Moving on, though, to uh, Crystal Palace and Leeds. And, uh, look, I, I thought this game, I didn't really have uh, huge expectations for it. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll watch the highlights, maybe the mini-match. But it it blew up, didn't it? Mm. Um, I, I thought, uh, like, yeah, you know, Leeds, everyone's excited to watch Leeds. But, um, and Crystal Palace have been, been pretty ordinary the last couple of weeks. Um, they never particularly score a lot of goals, never create a lot of chances. But... In this one, I don't think anyone would have expected they were going to score four goals against Leeds. Um, this is back-to-back games that Leeds have now conceded four goals. Um, boys, is this Leeds' Norwich moment? Well, I mean, you know, we've, we've been saying it since they come up and, um, you know, yet again, we just we see another uncompromising, attack-minded team coming up from, from the championship. Um, yes, Leeds appear to have a little bit more quality and, and steel about them than, than the likes of Norwich and, and Fulham of a, of a couple of years ago. But, I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, obviously, um, Calvin Phillips is out and he's a he's a really vital cog um, that sort of uh, you know, screens, screens the back four and, and then, you know, plays those uh, vertical passes up, up the field. So that's a, that's a big out for them. But I thought his replacements... In Shackleton, and I don't know—I forget the name of the other bloke—had um, been pretty good though. But yeah, can't obviously I still can't explain why they've been um, copying 
so many goals in recent games, and 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 that's something that Bielsa's obviously got to put a stop to pretty fast. Hmm. Yeah. No. This this game could have and maybe even should have had like a very different result. I mean, obviously, we'll talk about the um, the the disallowed goal. Well, well, let's talk about it now, mate. Like now, there's no better time. I think it's a good time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm still looking looking at it back and so many times it was never even in doubt like it, it when we were watching it when i watched it live and it was never really in doubt that he was offside there was no kind of hint of suspicion until the referee just out of nowhere probably got a call in his ear and said oh you better check this and uh yeah obviously it's the, the, the way the it's just so unfortunate because that's exactly what you're expected to do as a striker is like point this is where i want it i want it here and he got played in perfectly to him a lovely finish as well i mean um bamford's other goal Two two really really nice finishes this game as well, but um... killer. I think you've just um I think you've just stumbled upon it there. I mean, what what this is 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 this is just a really um a, you know really poor running style, and I I think <laughs> I would suggest that it's, um Bamford probably needs to adopt the Naruto style of running um just to make sure you know from 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 now on that he really doesn't put himself in danger of getting caught offside in these situations. So it probably so, I mean, diving headers in that, in that case. <laughs> yeah, That's far elite, post. Colby. Naruto runs over to the far post. <laughs> I, I feel like you're really, uh, you're really, um, you've really nailed uh, who our audience is as well. Uh, I think Sal might really appreciate that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, if there's, and I think Colby, you, you nail it there as well, right? Like um, Bamford pointing at where he wants the ball doesn't make him any closer to the goal than if his arms are down by his side, and it just it proves, I guess, the the stupidity of uh, of of where they're drawing the lines from. Um, yeah, just infuriating, I guess, to watch, and and another reason why um, I guess fans are just done, and I think a lot of players and commentators as well are just done with um, uh, with VAR. Um, boys, I, I want to. I want to give a shout out uh, in this one to uh, Eberichi Easy because uh, that free kick Ooh. for me that was that was goal of the round. Um, I don't know if we're going to. It had that really satisfying moment where um, the uh, the shot hits the crossbar, bounces down, and then slams into the roof of the net, and you're just like, "Oh yeah, that's so satisfying." <laughs> <laughs> were you Tommy, were you balls deep in some like takeaway at home watching this one after you uh after you got home from the pub or like talk us through it? Uh look, <laughs> I didn't see this one until this morning, but look, uh confession time. Um I, I smashed half a tub of ice cream when I got home. <laughs> 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 What was that? I think it was like gelato. It was, uh, it was pistachio gelato, which I've got to say that's, that was that's pistachio not a... gelato. Your post pub like food <laughs> of choice. It's normally not, but my my partner got some when she went out to get Thai, and uh, she said, "Oh, like I've still got um, some um, gelato here. I-, I waited for you to get home, and I thought, shit, yeah, I'm going to hoe into this." <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, look, the the gelato was nowhere near as sweet as how uh, sweet as I struck that free kick. It was just such a delight, um, and it was a shame because there were some other good goals in this one as well. Um, oh boy, Bamford obviously uh, he he got another good goal, another really tidy finish. But how mm. Helder Costa has managed to sneak that ball past Meslier for that <laughs> own goal? Couldn't I, have placed I, it better if he tried. Exactly, I'm I'm still doing like the dizzy the dizzy gift uh, at home, like still trying to figure out how he's done it. And I think even he's still trying to figure out how he's done it as well. Just poor bloke. 
one of those one of those freakish moments in football and like we we've probably all had them as well. Um, well we were talking about we were talking about futsal earlier in the yeah. uh, earlier in the pod Tommy and I remember there was there was probably one season where I reckon I got six own goals or, or just something outrageous. <laughs> I was just the most cursed defender you could ever have in futsal. And I scored a couple of really good ones too, but <laughs> you just don't you never want it. It's even worse in futsal because, like, you stick out a foot and you think, oh, this is going to be a great block. And it turns out that it just whips off the top of your foot and goes top corner. And the keeper's yeah. like, oh, well, yeah, I guess you tried. And you're kind of like, why did I even bother? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, look, I guess if there's this one big achievement that um, Crystal Palace have made lately, it's that they've managed to make Jordan Ayew into a goal-scoring forward as well. So. <laughs> Um, another big achievement there for He's for very Warrior. consistent. Last season, he, last season he had a blinder as well, and he came in for only like two and a half mil or something like that, and he's, he's turned into like a mainstay in that team. I just think it's it's remarkable what he's done since going there. 100%. 100%. It's just – it's. I still don't understand. It's another one of those like unexplained mysteries of the college. Well, it, it it defies it defies the value of the transfer. It defies the 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 purpose of the transfer. I mean, no one came out and said it, but when you see a transfer like that, he's clearly you know the the intention was clearly for him to be a bench player to Benteke. Everyone was expecting Ben, or even Sorloth when they got Sorloth in the the Norwegian um, big man. Um, you know, he was clearly going to play play back up to one of those, and and his form's just outshone, and you know. Uh, Roy's just rewarded him, and 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 um, and now he's he's paying the faith. What what sort of uh, reward do you think uh, Hodgson would give him? Word of originals. You don't have to answer that. Word of originals, yeah, definitely. Word of originals. <laughs> That's spectacular. Oh, jeez. All right, let's move on, though. Um, uh, the last uh, interesting game that we had was uh, Chelsea hosting Damo Sheffield United, and uh, Sheffield United season just sort of seems to be uh, going from uh, bad to worse at the moment. They copped another four goals here uh, when coming up against the Chelsea attacking juggernaut um, with, uh, with Zayek, uh, in particular, running amok here. Um, and this is probably one of... Um, Zayek really appears to now to be sort of hitting his uh, hitting his stride and, and and finding his place, I guess, in that Chelsea midfield. So, um, really exciting watching him use that wand of a left foot that he yeah, has. Left footed wand. We covered <laughs> it last night in the pub about all the all the the left footed wand wizards, I suppose, and their wands. And uh, yeah, Zayek is just uh, the the next the newest arrival in the Prem. And I think we like need. The, I think we need a, a one of a left foot power rankings, boys. Um, we need. We need to. We need to get. We need to get a list uh, of all all the uh, one of a left foots in, in the prem and, uh, and and really sort this out once and for all and and uh, and keep an eye on them week to week. Just just monitor the the progress. And, yeah. and there's like a there's a couple of like uh, prerequisites. Like you, first of all, you have to be left footed. You have to you have to probably play on the right, and you have to put heaps of curve on the ball whenever you pass it. Lots of whip. Yep, yep. Uh, but look, we mentioned Zayek already, but what I do want to talk about um, is the Chelsea midfield because uh, and, and balance is the key word that I want to throw out uh, because Chelsea's midfield this season so far has struggled for balance. And I thought last night with Kante, Kovacic and Mount, I thought that looked like a really 
balanced midfield. You had you had a runner, obviously. You had someone who was going to be sort of playing, uh, playing the ball, and uh, and uh, I guess sort of creating. And then obviously you've got heaps of energy, and uh, and, and you've got someone who's probably going to be uh, joining the strikers as well in in Mount as well. And I guess it goes back to a point that I think I made either last week or a couple of weeks ago about how I'm not sure that Mount and uh, um, uh, sorry, name escaping now. The new German midfielder that they signed. <laughs> Help me out here, boys. Havertz. Havertz, thank you. That I'm not sure if Mount and Havertz can play together. Um, boys, what did you think of that midfield trio of Kante, Kovacic, and Mount? I was particularly impressed with uh, with Kovacic last night. I thought he was really kind of pulling the strings. Um, for the the Abraham goal, he made a really good run kind of behind the lines, and then was able to kind of forced the opposition to kind of play on the back foot as well. Um, kind of really instrumental with kind of short passes kind of outside the box um, and lots of running like like a big engine. He was kind of going, giving it everything. So, yeah, I think in particular his performance that midfield stood out. Um, every, t- every time we have every time we have George on the pod, boys, he always gasses up Kovacic. Um, I think he's just one of those players that just really goes under the radar and, and also one of those players that don't, don't show up on the stats that much. He won't get many goals or many assists. But if you're if you're a Chelsea fan like George is and you're watching him week in, week out, I think he, he's just one of those players that just shines and, and you see all the work he does, like you were describing there, their killer, like the... The, the, the sort of engine that he has and all those late runs he was making into the box and and it's the, the, you know the sort of pass before the assist and and the way he breaks up the play and all, all the rest of that stuff that he does to complement Kante and, and and also mount in this game yeah we, we talked um sorry to bring this back to man United but um mentioned last night uh, at the pub um, that how each of Man United's midfielders in their own right are all good players, but they can't make a cohesive unit out of them. And it comes back to balance as well. And mm. I think you take Kovacic out of that midfield unit and you look at all of the Chelsea midfielders and you can't make a cohesive three out of them either. And, and I think Kovacic mm. is the one player between the Chelsea and the um, the Man United midfields that has has the ability to sort of knit it all together and make it all work. And, and make He's it much more of an all-rounder, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you need that sometimes for look balance. I think is a really under under um, underestimated aspect of, of a midfield at that level. And um, yeah, I, I hope that he keeps his place. I guess for Chelsea's sake, but I guess there's also another part of me that hopes he doesn't. Also because I don't like Chelsea. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boys, any anything else you want to talk about with uh, with this one? Nope. All right. Uh, look, finally, uh, Brighton also played Burnley in one of those games that we know is uh, is being broadcast on pay-per-view in the UK, and I reckon there would have been about a 1,000 people that paid to watch it because, um, look, I, I don't think this uh, this one really would have got a lot of people out of bed in Australia. I think it was at 4.30 on a Saturday morning. Grim, finished nil all. Great for, for Matty Ryan, but, um, yeah, probably not one for the purists this one, I've got to say. Um, Brighton obviously, well, both teams obviously picked up a, a point, um, but I think um, not a particularly helpful point really for either either team. Um, both teams could really do with three points at this stage of at least this early stage of the season. Um, all right, boys. Uh, we'll get into some previews though. Obviously, there's there's the the big kahuna of a, a match to be played this weekend, uh, which we'll we'll come to. But um, before that, uh, Colby, who do you think is is going to win and why between uh, West Brom and Spurs? Well, I mean, I think there's only there's only one result here. Um, obviously, everyone's expecting the, the cricket score. 
uh, Watford and Tottenham, Watford just, uh, sorry, Watford, West Brom, uh, you know, I mean, same, same <laughs> these days. Um, West Brom just, just leaking goals and, and Spurs, that partnership of Harry Kane and Jungin Son just, uh, you know, just, just pumping in the goals. So, um, you know, you only really see one one result here and it would have to be a, a pretty hectic uh, Jose meltdown, um, you know, Spurs Spurs meltdown for, for that result to change. So I don't see anything other than a than a, a Tottenham win by, you know, at least three or more goals. Yeah, I think it's I think it's 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 pretty I, I reckon two, three goals as well, very comfortable. West Brom haven't really been showing too much, especially at the back and Tottenham just have too much. Killer, um, Leicester hosting uh, Wolves in in probably in other seasons might have been like a bit of a clash for who's going to finish in seventh. Um, but both teams obviously doing very well already this season. Uh, Killer, who do you think is going to win? Um, I'd hope for a few goals. Definitely looks um, exciting. Some kind of very very nice football being played by both sides. Um, I think Leicester being at home will probably edge it, and I think Wolves maybe in the reverse picture maybe would I'd probably give them a slight advantage, obviously depending on whatever their form are. At the time, but uh, I think I think Leicester to edge it maybe, but I'm I'm hopeful of a three goal, a few goals, maybe like a three one or three two to Leicester is what I'm reckon reckoning. Interesting uh, that uh, uh, Ian Nacho even scored a, uh, I think he at least got a brace. He might have even got a hat trick in Europa League this week against Braga. So, um, I, I mean, if if uh, Leicester could have anyone who could maybe take a little bit of pressure off of Vardy. It's that it's they need Ianacho to to stand up, and so the fact that he's scoring goals that uh, might be about to start scoring some goals that can only bode well for them. Um, both goals, both goals in the Europa League, they did have like a hint of fortune in them, but it'll definitely maybe give him the, the confidence to uh, yeah to, to feel like he's able to to perform obviously when when he's called up. It's it's all you need sometimes a little bit of luck, and then off you go. Um, before we get on to the big kahuna, though, uh, Killian, Arsenal versus Villa, who do you think's uh, going to win and why? Oh, so I'm obviously definitely biased, but I reckon I, I do worry. I think Villa have got a lot of threats and um, and a lot of trickery as well, which I think would stump some of the Arsenal defenders. I think certainly Grealish um, on that side um, up against Bellerin. Um, Bellerin's obviously a really good left back, but I think just Grealish, anyone that Grealish comes up against, He's a bit like Zaha. He's going to win a foul. He could easily kind of um, get a couple of assists as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Arsenal will edge it, um, but I, I really don't see Arsenal keeping a clean sheet, especially against um, Villa, who are, who are performing quite well. Um, but I think, yeah, I think Arsenal will edge it. Maybe similarly as well, 2-1, 2-0 maybe, Max. But um, okay. I reckon probably 2-1 is better because I, I just can't see Arsenal keeping a clean sheet against, uh, against Villa this weekend. Yeah, I think it's a good shout that both teams won't keep a clean sheet and anything can happen after that, huh? Mm. Um, but all right, look, let's move on to the to the big game of the weekend, which is uh, City hosting Liverpool. And and probably 12 months ago, we would, we would have said that this is likely going to be a, a big uh, part of deciding who, who uh, wins the title, um, and probably for the last two seasons, if anything. Mm. Um, but uh, Colby, what are your thoughts? Who's going to win? Well... <laughs> Very difficult to say. Um, I think you'd, you'd have to say with, with the defensive uh, issues that are well documented at Liverpool um, that they're going to have their work cut out for them against a City side who, although they've been struggling to score goals, um, you know, will, will still cause that um, sort of weakened back line that Liverpool have um, quite a lot of problems. 
I've been hearing a lot of you know a lot of stuff about you know their 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 movement that is expected to really trouble the likes of Nat Phillips if he plays again. Um, that'll be one to watch, um, and also watch out for Matip because I know he was on the bench the other day. So Klopp may rush him back in there for a bit of um, you know another sort of senior head to to sort of sit alongside Gomez um, and and shore up that back line. So I wouldn't be surprised also to see Matip come, get rushed back early for this game. Um, so that that's obviously the the big thing. Can Liverpool's makeshift back line handle City's movement? That's that's the one one big narrative that's going on around this. And and the other one obviously is for Liverpool. Um, is is Klopp going to start Jota after his um, really hot form recently in the in the Premier League uh, and and in the Champions League as well? Um, he's racking up a hat trick midweek. Um, so few few stats here. Jota's got seven goals um, in his current I think ten appearances or something, and, and Firmino's got just the one. Um, so Jota's scoring at a, a rate of sort of 72 minutes per goal and, and Firmino's up, up at around 564. Mm. Um, yes, so uh, Jota's obviously making the case for himself, but Klopp's obviously pretty publicly backed Firmino and, and, and the, the other work that's, that Firmino uh, does is, is obviously um, well appreciated by Klopp. Um, but so that that's a that'll be a very interesting one to watch, and would not be um, at all surprised to see Jota come into the the starting lineup. Mm. He he showed that um uh, I think it was midweek in the Champions League when he when he played through the middle that he he can do maybe not exactly the same as what Firmino provides in terms of like sort of uh, creating that problem for centre backs of of follow or, or sit. Um, but he he can still fill that role and he can provide goals as well, which um, maybe if uh, for other teams who might be thinking, oh, yeah, Firmino, he's just going to be a bit, a bit more creative and it means we just need to concentrate on Salah or Mane, but, but if you need to concentrate on all three because all three are just as lethal as the other, then it's just it's a really problematic situation, I think, for, for any team in world football, I guess, at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, look, and I guess we've spoken before about, uh, I guess, uh, Manchester City struggles as well, and um, I think they'll be expecting Gabi Jesus to, to return after he um, made a return, a goal-scoring return um, midweek in the Champions League as well. So um, that's obviously a big positive for them after they've had to play like Sterling up front or um, uh, that young fellow who's... Um, Torres. No, not no. Torres. Remember the the Stoke long throw in guy, his Delap. son, Delap. Oh, Delap. Yes, <laughs> thanks. I've been saying Delap for that. Yeah, my mother. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I just couldn't hear. Um, but so uh, yeah, mu- much more promising things, I guess, for for City. So um, it, it's 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 weirdly um, curious game because. Um, we, we've had so much disruption for both teams so far this season, but um, it, it almost makes it far more unpredictable because of that. Like City aren't well, in particularly good form, and, yeah. and Liverpool have been sort of they've been getting results, but haven't necessarily been putting in the performances that might have gone along with those results as well. So um, you really well, don't know what we're going to get out of this. It, it could be an absolute classic where the seven goals and and both teams just finally sort of turn up and. And, and play some great football, or, or it could be terrible. It could, it could be like a nil or draw, and everyone just goes, oh, God, I hope we never have to talk about that ever again. Well, the easy answer is to say that, that City, given Liverpool's um, fragility at the back, will will just run over them, and, and especially at home, although query what you know what a difference that makes in, in COVID times without a crowd. But mm-hmm. um, that, that's, that's really the easy answer. But 
you know, the other thing to consider is, yeah, the, the way that City, you know, will, will come out and, and go at Liverpool could also, um, you know, as we've seen in the past, be a, a really good matchup for Liverpool, who obviously like to keep a high line and, and you know, their, their front three, as we've just talked about, especially if that includes Jota, are in quite good form, all of them. So, yeah, uh, it's really, really tough to predict this one. Come on, Colby. We're going to make you go out on a limb, though. Who do you think's going to win? I'm going to say it's going to be 3-2 to City. Really? Interesting. I think, um, uh, yeah, I reckon I reckon if you were going to ask me, <laughs> I think, <laughs> uh, I, I'd probably, probably, yeah, nearly agree with, with Colby as well. I think City will just edge it. Um, I think because, yeah, Liverpool's defence might be found out a little bit. Um, they were pretty impressive last week still, um, but just that bit, extra bit of quality that they're going to be facing against City, I think um, they'll have enough to unlock the fence a couple of times or so I think yeah, at least two or three goals to City and Liverpool will clearly score as well. So maybe three two as well seems good calls. Decent shout, I reckon. Um all right, well that wraps up our, our previews though. So uh I do have some some great news though. So um with with us uh, entering into November it means that we've got a prize to give away for October for, for Fantasy Premier League. So um, it's been a hard-fought competition, but uh, Ahmed uh, Suleiman, so excuse pronunciation, his team, the Bellwethers, uh, they had the highest total for October with 287 points. Uh, so congrats, Ahmed. Uh, wow. You've won the MTAG monthly uh, FPL prize. Uh, closely followed by him, uh, closely followed, sorry, were Eric Lawrence's Red or Dead and Dave Brindley's Super Jack 2 FC. Um, in terms of the overall competition, though, uh, Matt Bellotti's Anakin Dare Skywalker leads the competition by just two points. Uh, so it's still very close. Um, and in terms of the MTAG uh, like hosts, um, Jesse is uh, winning that by a long way at the moment. So uh, congratulations, Jesse. I can see he's in the comments. So I'm expecting him to pop up at any moment with some sort of what a moment. But there we go. Um so, uh, Ahmed, uh, please get in touch with us, and we'll we'll get uh, get your prize out to you. Um, this will be a, this will be a real um, you know marker of uh, who who's listening to the pod, Tommy. So, <laughs> indeed, and if you know Ahmed <laughs> and, and, you, and you're a listener, then please like let him know that he, he's missing and out. He needs to get in touch with us, <laughs> and and also subscribe to the pod, Ahmed. Yeah. <laughs> All right, look, that, that wraps up the pod for another week. Uh, obviously, um, you might have tuned in to, to see this either live on YouTube uh, or you might be watching it on replay on YouTube. That's the quickest way to get a hold of, uh, to get a hold of this. Otherwise, um, we can't get access to the, to the audio straight away, which means that it comes up on a, as a podcast about normally about 24 hours later. Um, of course, it's always available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, or wherever you get your audio on demand. Um, in the meantime, obviously, we're going to be uh, available on the socials, probably still just uh, scrolling through our mentions on Twitter in like the hundreds of thousands. Thanks, gone to our heads. <laughs> um, but, of course, we'll still be on the socials. Uh, of course, as always, mtagpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.